0: game
1: <laughs> Who else
0: but what else is there to talk about except for the fact that water polo is now an official high school sport in the state of texas on today's CX water polo podcast
1: There's between
0: us, i'm james smith in austin and joe lanahan is somewhere via skype how are you joe i'm good james uh Still are your you, 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 yeah are you feet touching the ground today?
2: Oh, I'm. Um, uh, yes, they are. Yes, okay. they are. Right. Yes, yeah.
0: they are. Because
2: the reality is already set in. You know, it's a lot of work to do moving forward, and um, I look forward to it. It's, yeah, it's. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be a lot of work between now and fall of 2021 with for a lot of different people, just the education aspect for referees and coaches and getting people outfitted, et cetera. It's going to be a lot of work, and I'm looking. I mean, we're all ready for it. So.
0: We should just reiterate that yesterday the legislative council or the uh, however they're termed at the at UIL voted in favor of a pilot program for water polo that is to begin its first championship in the fall of 2021. This is as we've mentioned in yesterday's uh, podcast and uh, in some other pieces a monumental day for the sport in my mind uh, it, for the game in Texas and frankly for Th- uh, throughout the entire country it's going to have uh, ramifications elsewhere i i was running on our i was working on a running list earlier today and i and but it, it couldn't be much easier this is all we're going to talk about really so joe and i will cover a couple things before we move on to a, another interview heavy podcast. First with Mac McDonald, who's been involved in the sport for over 40 years and was key to getting this done. Scott Slay, a very successful high school and club coach, who's currently the chairperson for Tisco Water Polo. And finally, Chris Cullen. He was the former Tisco Water Polo chair and really spearheaded this effort as well. And our extra special final guest, Allie Hill of LBJ High School, who's won a state championship with Baytown Sterling and is now the chairperson for the West Region for Tisco Water Polo. But uh, but where else? Where do we begin? We talked about uh, a little bit about what UIL sponsorship means, but I'm wondering, you, you have as much insight as anybody about this. I remember the arguments being made around 2013 about whether it sh- we should be pushing for it to be a UIL sport, and there were those who were advocating that it remain a club sport. What what Did you always feel that UIL was the right way to go, and why?
2: Yes, I've always felt that UIL was the right way to go, and, uh, and mainly – This gives water polo a validity in the minds of parents, athletes, school administrators, colleges. This is going to open a lot of doors kind of for the sport throughout the state of Texas. For those for those pools that may not have wanted water polo in them because they had they had major swim teams for clubs for clubs. This is going to allow clubs to maybe get in there. This is going to be and it's and it's going to transfer over from from like the high schools down to Parks and Rec down like over to YMCA's. Oh, it's a UIL sport. And yeah. And Waterpool now has the stamp of approval from the UIL. I mean, this is going to open doors for Waterpool throughout the state.
0: Right. Right. And and so, it, but it is going to be quite different for those who are accustomed to it being a club sport. And I suppose a lot of that is administrative, um, and the being under the oversight of the UIL is just simply different than being under what are pretty relatively loose rules under TISCA Water Polo.
2: This is correct. I mean, uh, uh, TISCA Water Polo is a is a group of coaches that have been running the sport for years and years and years, and it does conclude with a sixteen boys and in, in sixteen girls state high school championship. I believe the UIL is going to, is going to keep uh water polo kind of similar to other team sports and it's going to be a four team state championship. But what's going to happen is now the importance is going to be placed on the region championships or right. the, or the region level plays and then the district level plays. Um, and right now, you know, all the different regions, they are run a little bit independently. They aren't necessarily similar. Um, so this is going to bring everybody with the same rules or be, for the, for the same formats as far as playing. So if you look at the other uh, other uh, team sports in Texas, it's probably going to be for the first month in, and yeah, in month and a half. It's going to be training and then oh, weekend tournaments or Friday, Saturday type tournaments where teams can start playing. And then it's going to go into a district play where like kind of maybe a home and home series. Um, and then that's going to lead to some 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 like the first level of the playoffs, which is going to be like. Is it going to be two teams per district or four teams? Yeah, per district that are that are going to make it, and then they'll start playing off into the different levels, and it's going to be win and and then you keep playing just like football, just like baseball, just like basketball.
0: Right. So. Well, you mentioned it because it. Let's just uh, let's just address the elephant. There's a couple of them. One is uh, we talked about yesterday as well, but it might require some more detail. Why is this a fall sport? I mean, there are those who are perfectly happy with maintaining its uh, spring status.
2: It's a fall sport because the spring is busy. There is a UIL kind of major competition almost every single weekend from the middle of February to the end of May. There are a lot of sports from cross country to baseball to softball um, or I'm, I'm sorry, track to cross country or track and baseball, softball. I mean, there is a lot going on in the in the fall. It's a little bit slower. You have the football championships in late November, early December, and then you have um, the cross country in November. You have the team tennis in the, uh, in late October, and there's a perfect fit right there for water polo to have a championship there in mid to late October. And then if uh water polo starts on, on, on August one, it's going to be about a two, two and a half month season, which is fairly similar to, to what it would be <clears throat> in the springtime. Oh, yeah. So I think in the UIL's mind, it is a better fit because there's just less going on in the fall. I, I,
0: I don't know this. This is speculation, but I get the impression that some people almost treated it as if the UIL already did manage it in the spring. But the truth is, since it was a club sport, it didn't really get on the UIL's radar in any way, especially not on its calendar. And so um, this, from the UIL's perspective, <laughs> seems to make sense.
2: Correct. I mean, and I believe that we've that we've been on the UIL radar for the last few years and they've been monitoring and yeah, and studying the sport and sending out surveys. um, And they and they've and they've looked at our seasons and they and they've go, well, you know, here's where we can do it. And this is what they decided was the best thing for the UIL. And I can't and I'm not going to and I'm not going to disagree with them. Um I think this is going to be great for everybody. This is going to be an opportunity. Yes, there's going to be a little bit of crossover with the beginning of, um, of high school swim season. But um, I believe that Waterpole can get the kids in the water a little bit earlier. It's going to be an opportunity to have one of the best preseasons to swimming that is going to be possible out there. Um, and, and I believe this is going gonna, is gonna, is gonna to hit the ground running. This is also going to leave open a, like, a, a, like a little bit of time in the spring to have some off-season training for both swimming and water polo. So it's, so it's going to be a win-win for everybody.
0: Okay. the the other uh, big issue from the standpoint of uh, a lot of people, including Michael Rondazzo of Swimming World, has asked and has some uh, viewers and listeners and readers who are interested in w- knowing why is this a pilot program? I mean, the the name in and of itself uh, implies that this is <coughs> uh, this is not a permanent thing until it's proving itself. And so, is there any way we can address that outstanding issue of why it's called a pilot program?
2: Whether it's a pilot program, we uh, whether it's called a sanctioned pilot program or it's a fully sanctioned sport, water polo, a, all pilot programs at the UAL are going to be treated like fully sanctioned programs. Hmm. They're going to give the care, the um, like the time it's needed to do it right, and the UAL does stuff right. So um, this is this is this is not just a little kind of a one-year process either. I, I think a lot of people they may think that it just started happening the last couple of years. No, this has been a process for the last 20 years. It really started ramping up back in about 2013 or 2014. But I mean, this is this is this a is process. But right now, like to give you an example, the UAL started some pilot programs in cheer and mariachi back in about 2010. And and they've they are they are they are seen as fully sanctioned programs now. Right. Um. But even if you're of like like a fully sanctioned or a pilot program kind of yeah uh, like kind of sanctioned, you're going to be treated the same. Okay. And if the program doesn't do well, whether it's water polo or it's adding 5A swim meet or it's adding different divisions in football, if it's not seen as doing well. The UAL has the ability to stop it, yeah. Whether it's a pilot program sanctioned or a fully sanctioned, yeah, right. kind of. So I don't think the language matters. Waterpolo has its work cut out for them to make sure that we get this right, and I believe the whole community is going to be coming together to make sure we get this right, because this is, I mean, this is this
0: is this is the first
2: sport that has been added by the UAL since wrestling in the late 90s. This is a huge thing.
0: Yeah. Sure. I would add a I would add a couple of things about this. Uh, the um, one is that the meeting notes and I heard the actual vote take place at the Legislative Council yesterday was preceded by um, a some uh, much more detail about why it's a pilot and for lack of a better term it's almost basically just allowing the uil to sort of feel this out for a couple of years but in but the other thing is based on people the discussions i've had with a lot of people with insider information there's never been a single pilot program that did not be become converted into a full-time sponsored pro- uh, program as far as i understand As far as I know, that's the truth as well. Um,
2: And I don't think uh, and I think water polo is going to do excellent. So,
0: yeah, I don't have any question about that. And what it does actually is it puts a little bit of uh, what do you want to call it? Pressure on coaches, administrators to get this right. And those of us who are interested in the sport are going to actually make that happen. There's it's kind of nice to have a little more guidance in that in that respect, you know. Um, And so anyway, a, a positive development all around. Um, We have a ton more to offer today, so we'll break and we'll come back with a conversation with the legendary Mac McDonald who spoke with Joe earlier today.
1: Hi, I'm U.S. Olympian
3: Janai Kerr, and when I need to stay up to date with my water polo news in Texas, I listen to the TX Water Polo Podcast.
2: On the tx water polo podcast now um this is joe Linhan with mac mcdonald of lamar high school mac how's it feel uh the, like the uil sanctioned water polo
4: it feels pretty good this is uh this is probably the the thing i'll take the most gratification from you know other than what the athletes accomplished but just for what i've been able to contribute to this sport this is the highlight
2: well, congratulations. I, I know, I know you've been in the sport for a long time. And I, and, and, and I know you've been at it for a long, long time. And I know you and I have had our, our, differences back and forth, but I think oh, that's, so you know, the <laughs> but I mean, that's, I mean, that's, yeah, like that's, that's kind of how it is way. Yeah, we're both in it for the athletes, but here, just why don't you give a little bit of history of Texas high school water polo?
4: Sure. Um uh, the earliest thing we've got recorded is, uh, Dennis Fosdick at A&M would host a couple of tournaments every year. The first was considered a novice tournament, and then he would host a state championship for the boys. Uh, first one looks like it was in 1972, and A&M consolidated, won the first two. Uh, Don Boyd was an A&M graduate, and he was coaching at Lamarck High School, and they were a they were a power back there at the beginning. And Saint Marks out of Dallas. Was another one of the powers on those those early early years. Uh, I didn't start coaching until 1975, and at that point, St. Mark's had won a state championship. Lamarck had won a state championship, and Annandale Consolidated had won a couple. Clear Creek and Clear Lake were dominant programs at that time. Uh, the girls, it it looks like they did play something in 1972. Uh, and Creek 1 and Clear Lake was second in 72. Then we don't have any record of what happened in 73 or 74. 75 and 77, Creek won again. Alamo Heights kind of entered the picture in 1977. Uh, George Block showed up at Alamo Heights and began to build a program that was one of the dominant programs uh, in the early 80s. San Antonio began to dominate the game. Uh, I think they won from 79 till 1985. They won all the boys' state championships. Uh, Tom Clark, didn't you play for Clark, Joe? I did play for Clark, but I'm not that old. Yeah. Okay.
2: All right. I didn't graduate until 92 from Clark High School.
4: They were doing real well. They won like four in a row from 82 to 85. Yeah, that was Mark Elliott back in the day. Yes.
2: Yeah. And he's actually the one that got me into the sport a long time ago.
4: Yeah, he's he's one of the pioneers of all this stuff. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, the girls were dominant at that point as well, up through 86. Uh, Tom Landgraf got to Sterling, and they they won a boys' championship in, I think it was about 1986. And for a while there, uh, the Houston schools started to dominate again. Uh, yeah, Tom, back in the late 80s and early 90s. Late and... And... Early 90s, up through the 90s, late 80s, up through I mean, the 90s. I
2: mean, uh, as far as the starting and then the, then the 90s, it was just basically Houston dominated from the
4: 90s through the 2000s, correct? Right. Houston dominated uh, until recently, and Dallas began to win championships. looks like uh, about 2014, uh, St. Marks went on a run. Uh, they were interrupted by Flower Mound in 2018, but then they won again this last year. During that time, the uh, girls' programs, uh, the Houston teams, were still winning uh, at that point. Denton Guyer won in 2018, but Houston teams won. South Lake Carroll won in 2015, but Houston teams were dominating up until 2014. Yeah. Uh, We've had some, you know, it kind of ebbs and flows. Uh, A lot of it depends upon how long a coach sticks with that program. But we've had dominant programs at Alamo Heights, Ta- Tom Clark, John Marshall, uh, Clear Lake, Clear Creek, Sterling, uh, most recently Foster, the Ditton Schools, uh, South Lake Carroll, and St. Marks was dominant at the beginning, and they're dominant again now. Yeah, so I know. History.
2: Yeah, and uh, and you've been along since 19 yeah 1975, and right. I, and and I know just from you know our personal conversations that this is something that you've been waiting for for a long time.
4: mean um, yeah, it's uh, there's times when, uh, well, again on the history note, when the girls started playing. Coach Fosdick at a and was hosting a tournament for the girls, but he insisted that his women's college team get to play in it. So it was difficult for a girls team to have a state championship. And uh, I got together with the coach down at Clear Creek, a guy named Joe Carpenter at that time, and Lanny Landtroop, and we organized a girls state tournament in 77. So that was the first time that we, uh, you know, we kind of had to break with the way things had been and go our own way a little bit. But I thought that the girls deserved a championship themselves instead of having to uh, play through the colleges. Uh, It reached a point where the girls would beat the colleges after a while. But that was the first break we made. We uh, We had a debate, to put a good word on it, about whether or not we were going to play by NCAA rules or National Federation rules. And Federation wrote the first rule book in 1978, I believe. Uh, And we had a debate on the floor of the Tiska convention when Tiska didn't even know we were playing water polo. But a couple of years before that, well, when we broke the girls away, we had to have some kind of an aegis. So we put the name Tiska on the girls state championship and played it as a Tiska event. We didn't really have permission. Uh, We didn't have much awareness until we started arguing at their clinic. And they're looking at each other and going, We've got water polo. There we go, you've had it for three years.
2: (laughs) That's uh that is uh, yes, I can I can believe that.
4: Yeah. Sometimes the revolution has to start quietly until it's ready to stand on its own.
2: Yeah, so so you had yeah, so you had girls start in nineteen seventy eight, like you switched to the National Federation rules. Right. That was in the eighties, and then what were the other landmarks along the way?
4: Well, In the mid-90s, we decided to make a push to try to get the UIL to adopt us. Tom Landgraf was instrumental in in that effort, and we involved some parents that seemed to know how to work their way through systems. We were always being encouraged to sue, to file a lawsuit, and we always resisted doing that. We felt like that was going to, uh, you know, even if we'd been successful, we were going to be ill-thought of, so we always resisted the, the legal path but we did start trying to get adopted in the mid nineties. And we thought we were very, very close in 1998. uh, We had an agreement by the UIL. It it was kind of like a survey. Uh, People tend to think that we've always done things the way we've done things recently. And that's not the case, things change. But the surveys were done a little bit differently then. And the UIL agreed to only count the responses from superintendents that already had swimming teams. So this was really very similar to what happened most recently when they put the greatest weight on the 6A schools, which is where most of the swimming teams are. Uh, But we thought we were going to make it in 1998, and at the last moment, someone spoke against it, and it caved in, and we didn't get accepted, and we were kind of, I don't know, either heartbroken or bitter or however you want to respond to it. Uh, and we kind of, you know, tucked our tails between our legs and quit asking the question. Uh, so when they started again with the challenge Monday morning, just yesterday morning, at about this time, I my heart was sinking. I thought, here oh. we go again. We're oh. this close. We're right there on the doorstep, and one person's agenda is going to sink us. Uh, so it was a very emotional time yesterday morning. Uh, But this time we prevailed. Uh, But in 98, we failed. In 2013, Tracy Neely, who was an associate athletic director for the UIL, was speaking at a clinic of Clear Creek ISD coaches. She approached Ann Woolweaver, who was our chairman at the time, and asked Ann, she goes, why have y'all never tried to get the UIL to adopt you? And Ann says, we did try. You rejected us. And Tracy's goes, oh, well, I think now would be a good time to try again. There was something going on about a sunset finding or a sunset.
2: Yeah, yeah, there was a state of, uh, yeah, there was a state survey and they decided yeah. to go to the UIL and say, hey, you know, you haven't done this. You haven't had a sport for a while, so you might want to start looking at it.
4: And that's yeah. what we were trying to seize upon. And because, you know, someone from the UIL, that being Tracy, had approached us, we thought, well, good, you know, we got a really good chance at this. So in 2013, we started going to every one of the legislative councils. There's two a year, and we never missed a one. Our first proposals were somewhat overbearing. I remember the first one was 72 pages long and had videos attached and (laughs) a lot more information than those people ever wanted to know about water polo. But we didn't know what to do. And, you know, people advised us. Tracy was very, very helpful. And then after she left the UIL, we contacted her repeatedly and got her insight to do it. And I think that was very valuable in this. Uh, Joe, I think you'll agree. She she kept oh, yes. us on the right track and, you know, didn't let us get too discouraged. Uh, you know, told us that, you know, we're going to put this out for survey. It was not a death knell that we could progress through that. So we kept going back and i think our persistence paid off they knew we weren't going away i would think that the uil you know kind of realized these guys are going to play anyway you know whether or not they're uil they're going to play because they've been playing for 40 years uh but i think it was a really good sport for them to expand and i think that was best expressed by dr henry as he spoke up for us both in the policy committee meeting and then again at the Legislative Council meeting on Monday morning. And uh, yeah, I what a great fit. This was, and, I agree.
2: He was the he was the hero of water polo. Um, yeah. This, yeah. 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 This past super weekend. Super, he's a superhero in my book. And you've been you've been involved for sure. almost 45 years, Mac. Um, congratulations. Thank a you. lot of patience. Same um yeah, my, yeah. Yeah. My heart was beating just as fast as yours yesterday. <laughs> um and uh yeah, yeah, was it along with Chris Cohn and Scott Slay I think it's been it's been uh it's been some yeah, some heartache and a, like a, a lot of steps, but this was a major hurdle yesterday, and now I think this is a new era for water polo in Texas moving forward. most definitely, yes, all right, thanks Mac i I appreciate you taking the time. you bet. Good luck to us in many podcasts, this time would be filled with ads for electric toothbrushes or recruiting services. Not here. Instead, we're asking you to show your support for TX Water Polo by donating to it. Go to TXWaterPolo.com donate and help us continue covering the sport we love in the Lone Star State. Now on the TX Water Polo podcast, we have Chris Cullen, who is from Denton ISD Aquatics. And he spearheaded this movement. He's the past Tisca Water Polo chair. He, spear, he spearheaded the UAL movement. And so you had a pretty good weekend, Chris, huh?
3: Yeah, it was fantastic. We were really happy with the uh, results. It was a little uh, stressful at times with some dissenting small schools. But, you know, I think overall when you get the results that you want, you know, it was good that somebody at least, you know, gave us a little pushback and that they, uh, they questioned it. And then there was still... Uh, overwhelmingly decided that it, they were in favor of the pilot program.
2: Good. I mean, and
3: I mean, can you talk a little bit about the growth of the sport
2: since the late 2000s? You have it now, as far as growth in North Texas, down in Austin,
3: Austin-San Antonio, et cetera. Sure. Um, down in uh, here in North Texas, we didn't have any water polo going on through all basically the 80s and 90s. I mean, I wasn't even even. I was coaching swimming, but didn't know anything about water polo. It was approached in 1999 that they were going to start up a North Texas water polo league to be a part of PISCA, And so I uh, up for an adventure and decided I wanted to learn and play how to or learn to coach water polo. And so we had two or three teams at the time. And then it just consistently grew over the years, got more and more kids. And once you, you know, most people know when you get them involved in this sport, they love it. And then they can't get enough of it. So we boomed from uh, three or four schools to 30, 40 schools in this area and just tremendous growth. I think in the, the Austin area, we got more teams playing than in that area that had never, that was in the last five, 10 years, they started, uh, jumping on the bandwagon in the, in the spring. And so when, when we converted from the fall season in 2009, to the spring I think that opened up the door for a lot of it was a lower barrier for the, the, the coaches that were not sure what to do they were afraid to uh, try it in the, the fall before swimming or they just weren't sure and so now that it was after swimming that they came out and gave it a try and then they were hooked and so I think uh, it's going to be a great opportunity for all the they uh, will continue to grow and we'll be 200 plus schools before we know it playing water polo
2: so, how do you think the growth of the sport affected going to the UAL meetings over the last few years, and just bringing the eyes of the UAL on
3: the sport? I think it was making a this central, happen. Yeah, I think it was essential part of the uh, success of the proposals. When you have to get a a critical mass of a certain classification, of uh, the largest classification, usually six a when they if they get uh, you know momentum going with the number of schools playing and that really took off in when we moved to the spring. And so I think that got more and more teams playing and then more and more teams playing. They told other coaches and they uh their kids loved it. And you know it it got more schools playing in terms of uh areas too, not just in certain areas. But so I think when we had growth down in the valley and we had growth down in Laredo and different just because of it being after the swim season, it kind of took away the the scary aspect of it trying to do something during swim season. And so now I think with that growth, I think it was it showed the UIL that we uh, we have the numbers of kids and coaches and teams that are ready to play and that we're going to make it work.
0: And then
2: I mean, like like you just mentioned, and we showed the UIL. So I mean, I know you. I know Ann Wolver started this process with the UIL staff and then handed it off to you back in like 2013. Um, And you've been attending these UIL meetings every year. Can you maybe just, just let everybody know exactly what the UIL is kind of, kind of how many meetings a year they
3: have and maybe like a general format of the meetings. Sure. This I started attending in uh, 2013 and so, and they have two meetings a year, one in October and one in uh, June. And so they, uh, the first few times you go, you're just kind of sitting there taking it all in and trying to understand the process because it's very different than most things that people would understand. And, you know, from the public forum that, they, you know, they listen to all the, the ideas and rule changes and suggestions that different organizations and individuals and all the different things that go into what are being considered by the UIL, then it breaks into committee meetings and then the committee meetings. Uh, decide on the proposals and then the uil staff how they're involved and so i, I it took us a few years to kind of get a grasp of how it works and then i believe that as soon as we got a better grasp of what we were trying to achieve and how it, to get to that goal and i think that helped us you know start communicating with our um, coaches organization and atisca and we communicated with the superintendents and the UIL staff and our own coaches and I, I think it just overall improved the the chance of the proposal by kind of getting a good solid grasp on how it worked and how what it needed to be done for us to to get our proposal accepted
2: well good now I mean and I know that the proposal was accepted and UIL has been added or the or I'm sorry water has been added to the UIL as a Sanctioned pilot program. Can you give a little insight on what the pilot program language means? And I believe you started using that language two, three years ago to get over the hump a
3: little bit? Sure. I think it was a way that, you know, I'm not sure what the first pilot program was, uh, but I think it gave the UIL an out to be able to sanction something with kind of like on a temporary basis to say, okay, we're going to let you give it a try to see if it's successful. I know they did that with cheer and some other activities and this is the first sport that's done it. And so it, it kind of allows the UIL, if the sanctioned sport doesn't succeed, then it kind of gives them an out to say, okay, well, it's not working out for everybody. We, uh, we need to let it go. But, you know, I'm confident that we're going to have take this pilot program and, you know, grow, go the numbers and have a great sport and a great product overall and that, uh, is exciting to watch and, you know, uses the great aquatic athletes that we have here in Texas and be successful in whatever season they have for us. And so, you know, I'm confident that we can make it work and be a, a great product that they will sanction in a short time after we show that what we can do. Great. I mean, again,
2: uh, congrats. Uh, I mean, I know everybody across the state. I, I know I'm excited. Uh, I know all, I mean, I'm sure the athletes are excited. Uh, this is going to open up so many new doors. Thank you for all your time, effort. I know it hasn't been easy along the way, um, and just congrats. I mean, this is this is this is a huge step, and kind of kudos to for all your hard work. So.
3: Well, thank you. I appreciate all the you know the coaches that are my coaching peers and my uh, athletes and the parents and everybody who supported the whole Tiska Water Polo and the sanctioning from the beginning so it's just i'm just a piece of the puzzle and i'm happy to do my part so i'm proud that i was able to to be there and keep pushing forward so that we till we got our end goal all right well yeah yeah well thanks chris and i look forward to seeing all, on the pool deck all right thank you you guys have a do a great job thanks hey this is mark lawrence from austin college head coach of the men's and women's water programs and home of our kangaroos when i'm interested in uh, what's going on with texas water polo i always listen to tx water polo podcast
2: now on the tx water polo podcast we have scott slay who is the current tisco water polo chair he also his girls won the high school state championship this past spring at foster high school um he's worn a, a ton of different hats for the last 2025 years, from player to uh you had a referee to coach from Baytown to Tomball to Katie to Foster. Scott, how you doing?
1: I'm doing well. And yourself?
2: Good. Were the last couple of days uh, nice and eventful? Uh,
1: the stress level was high for me. Uh, I didn't know what to expect, but we got a great result.
2: Yeah, exactly. It was a little bit ups and downs. Exactly. And um, you had a little, I mean, You've been on board as far as the, the Tisca Water Pole Chair for a couple months now, but you've worn a, uh, a again, you've worn uh, lots of different hats and had a lot of different roles. Weren't you part, weren't you the Tiska Water Pole Chair way back in the day, back in 2007, when it was decided to go from a fall high school sport to a spring high school sport?
1: Uh, yeah, it was a uh, long time ago. Uh, it, we, I just, I don't even exactly know, remember where I was, it was so long ago, but I remember a group of guys talking about it and thinking about the possibilities of, of moving the, moving the season to the springtime at, to attempt to get teams that were not currently playing to start playing. To, so we didn't interrupt their swim season. Um, so we, uh, we have, we, uh, approached it or we approached those teams we got some information we pushed it it was met with resistance to tell you the truth uh from people that are used to doing you know one way for a long time and even those people i think have have learned that you know it's not the most convenient time i guess for them to do it but it's helped with growth of the sport and that's probably why we're sitting here today
2: awesome so yeah so i mean yeah i i agree i think that that really helped with uh, like that was a trigger to get this, like, the number of teams from what about, about 40, 50 to out oh, to 150 plus teams playing now. Now, I mean, now this, now this is a UIL sanctioned pilot program. So, I, so, and, and I know there's, it's going to start in the school year, 21 to 22. Um, what's the next step, Scott?
1: Uh, training of officials, recruitment of officials, Education of coaches, um, organizing teams, um, getting them equipment. Uh, it actually is uh, – there, there's a lot going on. I, I just Today was kind of our first day, what I felt like first day on the job. Um, and we're already seeing emails from school districts, and we're seeing uh, a lot of excitement.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of see it like, you know, just this is the UIL stamp of approval. So that's going to open up a lot of different doors and such out there.
1: Yes, very much so. I, I I really felt like honestly the there's a lot of tension that left the room yesterday when when the approval went through, and I think I I, I really I see the UIL really working with uh, our water polo organization, and I I mean they want us for help, which I I think is great. Yeah, I mean this is this is I think
2: this is fantastic for everybody. Um now I know that you played for Mac. Uh yeah, just Mac McDonald for those that don't know. Um way back in the day and you were sitting next to Mac yesterday. Would you how did you feel for Mac yesterday?
1: Uh I was ecstatic for Mac. Uh he he has done so much over the years. Like if you look at he he was in Texas in the 70s coaching water polo. He was in Texas in the uh, and he took a little stint out of the state for a little bit. He came back into the 90s, and he hasn't left. And he's he's had some powerhouse teams at Baytown Sterling and and Lamar over the years. And it, it's just it it's a lifetime of work for him. And I, I couldn't be happier for him.
2: Well, Scott, congrats. I know it's been a lot of hard work uh, through the years. And I mean, you not only coach high school, but you coach club you are involved at all different levels just i mean just kind of kudos to you know kind of your efforts throughout the years and this is again i think you mentioned it this is the first day on the job right this is just the beginning this is this is there's gonna be some hard work kind of moving forward
1: lots of hard work and
2: uh, we're looking forward to it all right well thanks scott and i'll see you on the pool deck
1: yes sir you're listening to the tx water polo podcast
0: Lowry to McDonough with five to shoot. Good flip inside to Galgani. Puts it away. from the left.
2: Now on the TX Water Polo Podcast, we have Ally Hill, who coaches Lhasa High School in Austin, Texas. She's also on staff at Longhorn Aquatics for the Water Polo Club. Ally's been involved with Texas High School Water Polo since the mid 2000s as a player. She's coached state championships at Baytown High School um and she's gone off to california coach and come back ali how are you doing
5: good how are you
2: i'm good so were you excited about the news yesterday
5: i was so excited it's awesome news it's great for the sport and i know a lot of people and you and chris and scott and mac have put so many hours into it so it's really great to see it finally happening
2: so now you were part of and you were playing at ross sterling high school in baytown Back and, you, and uh, you graduated in spring of 2009, and you, yeah, and you played in the first season that was a spring high school sport. So you were there during the transition. So, tell us what that was like back in the day.
5: Um, it was it was weird because for one season we ended up playing in two state tournaments. And it was also weird because it kind of created a somewhat of a divide. Um, there were some coaches who really disliked the idea because of interfering with swimming. And some coaches really liked the idea just because of the addition of all the new teams. So I think at the time, it was a really weird concept. But now, I mean, now you see it really benefiting and all these teams added. So it's, it's kind of hard for me to think back to when it was a fall sport.
2: Yeah. And then for, for for those that don't know, Allie then went off and played NCAA water polo at Maryland and came back and everybody was kind of kind of singing kumbaya together. And it was all everybody was rowing the boat in, in the same direction. Right.
5: Yeah. Lots of kumbaya.
2: I mean, no, but everybody was playing in the spring and kind of moving forward. So now just kind of since then kind of you've Yeah. You've been in houston you've seen the growth over the last 10 years and now you're in austin i mean just kind of from your perspective what's happened with the growth along and how did that help kind of with the with the uil development here
5: um i think definitely just seeing more of the sport you see more of the sport more people involved Uh, the principals hear about it the superintendents hear about it it's just another great way for kids to get involved in an awesome sport and get the opportunity to play something that um, they wouldn't have had the chance to otherwise and I also think with kind of the more teams that have added um, the more legitimate the sport has come in a way especially in Texas it's it was following the UIL guidelines very closely for a long period of time so now that it's actually going to be, um, you know, UIL sponsored, then I think it's just going to really help it add more schools.
2: So, and then from your perspective, what do you think this is going to mean for girls water polo and women's water polo, the growth of that kind of moving forward?
5: I think it's huge. I think for us right now, one of the big challenges getting a lot of those 12U, 14U girls, because a lot of them aren't aware that, they have a high school feeder team. And so now that they see that that's an option in high school and it's a UIL sport, I think it's just going to be really huge for us getting um, kids, especially girls, because we've been trying to expand and expand and our high school girls right now for Longhorn are at an all time high. So we're just really trying to build up that 12 and 14 new program. So as much as that can push it, we are really looking forward to that.
2: Yeah, it's great. I mean, there is a lot of people that have kind of worked hard, over the years, yourself included, um, I mean, this is this is exciting news like uh, across the board, and I, and I think this is going to open up doors for the sport in, in 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 avenues that we don't even think about right now. Whether like YMCA is just getting in, in, in the pools, and it's just going to give the sport a little bit more validity.
5: Definitely, yeah, and I would love to comment um, that one thing. I was really happy to see is as an athlete, I was lucky enough to have you as a coach and Scott as a coach and Coach Mac. So kind of seeing all of them over the years, just how many hours they've put into this and learning from them and seeing them accomplish this, it, it really means a lot. So thank you, Joe.
2: Well you're welcome. I mean and here I um I also am doing an interview with Mac and Scott as well and I'm gonna ask you the same question I asked Scott. How do you feel for Coach Mack right now?
5: So happy. I mean, the guy loves the sport. He He's done so much for water polo. If you see his spreadsheets and the hours and hours he puts into it, I mean, it's awesome. I'm I'm really glad that he got the opportunity to be a part of all this.
2: Yeah, this is, I am, I mean, yeah, I, I think uh, Mack and I have had our differences here and there. But, you know, I think we see eye to eye on probably most things and I am ecstatic for him. I was, I was sitting next to him in the meeting yesterday, kind of when it was announced. And I mean, I think either way, he was almost having a heart attack. So, so, (laughs) and uh, was it, I am very happy for him. I'm happy for Chris. I'm happy for Scott. I'm happy for all the Tisco water polo coaches, you know, throughout the years and the, opportunities are going to be endless moving forward so so uh thank you for your time um any other closing comments or anything good
5: uh no we're good just really excited and excited to see where it goes uh now that we're uil but i really expect the sport to blow up and yeah really excited for this awesome
2: all right thanks sally and i'll see you on the pool deck
5: cool thanks joe
0: well how much more can you possibly want my thanks to Ellie Hill, Scott Slay, Chris Cullen, and Mac McDonald for spending time on our little show here. And as always, thanks to Joe. He's been scrambling all over the place doing Joe stuff. You know what I'm talking about. Well. We're going to get out of here, but not before saying thank you to all of our donors, including James, who gifted us just this week. And no, it's not me. And I'll spare you the usual end of the show routine. Just go to TXWaterPolo.com to listen to the podcast. Find us on social media and all that stuff. You know what to do. So thanks to all of you for listening and for telling a friend about the TX Waterpolo podcast. Until next week or maybe earlier, so long from Austin. <laughs>